Chapter Zero of Legends of Saints and Sinners. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tom Mack, Tucson, Arizona. Legends of Saints and Sinners by Douglas Hyde. Introduction. I have called the present volume Legends of Saints and Sinners, which to a certain extent it is, but I mean it for a book of Irish Christian folklore. My idea in compiling it has been to give for the first time a collection of genuine Irish folklore which might be called Christian. By this I mean folk stories and folk poems which are either entirely founded upon Christian conceptions or else are so far colored by them that they could never have been told, at least in their present shape, had not Christianity established itself in Ireland. Every one of these stories conforms fairly to this standard except one or two which I give as necessary corollaries. They are all translations from the Irish. I have found hardly any such stories in English. They were mostly collected by myself from the mouths of native speakers, but three or four of them I have taken from Irish MSS in my own possession, and few more were given to me by my friends. Not one of these stories was ever translated into English before, with the exception of those which I have taken from my own Quote, religious songs of Connacht, end quote. Many of these I decided to republish here as they were practically lost amongst the heterogeneous mass of poems, prayers, charms, etc., in which they were embedded. And as the religious songs are little known, these stories which I have excerpted from them will be new to 1920s of my readers. Several of these pieces have never been printed even in Irish, but I hope to shortly publish the original text of these, especially The Adventures of Laethan, which seems to belong to a strange and weird cycle of beast and bird lore, now lost or almost lost, but of which we find hints here and there, though we know nothing certain. Most of these pieces may be said to be, in a true sense, folklore, seeing that they have almost all lingered more or less vividly in the memory of people who, for the most part, could neither read nor write. Some of them obviously come from continental sources, though how they first found their way into Ireland is obscure, and the derivation of some of them cannot now be traced. Others, however, are of a purely native invention, while a third class engrafts native traits and ideas upon foreign subject matter. The stories in this collection cover a good deal of ground and present many various aspects of folk tradition and folk belief. Of native saints, we find legends concerning Patrick, Colomseal, Delgan, Moling, and Siran. Of foreign saints we find legends of St. Peter, St. Paul, and St. Martin. 
Of unknown or mythical characters, we find tales of Grenine, Oig, Friar Brian, the Old Woman of Bear, and Mulrana. Of other well-known names, Oisin and Oscar and Solomon appear. Curiously enough, I have not chanced upon any folk tale told about St. Bridget, the Mary of Gale. There is, for some reason or other, a distinct predominance of Petrine stories among these legends. When we consider the collection as a whole, we find that its purely Irish aspect is apparent in many ways, and in none more than in the very characteristic dovetailing of what is pagan into what is Christian. But its omissions are even more distinctly Irish than its inclusions. In most countries, for instance, the devil is the great outstanding anthropomorphic conception added to the folklore of Europe by the introduction of Christianity, and later the belief in witches, who trafficked directly or indirectly with the evil one, became extraordinarily prevalent and powerful. Now the most striking fact about our collection is that the devil personified rarely appears in it at all, and the witches never. The belief in witches and in witches' sabbaths, with which other nations were positively obsessed, and which gave rise to such hectic homes of unhappy victims in almost all the Protestant and in some of the Catholic countries in Europe, as well as in America, never found its way into native Ireland at all, or disturbed Gaelic sanity, although a few isolated instances occurred among the English settlers. The Highland Gaels, to whom the idea of witches was more familiar, owing to their proximity to the Scottish lowlands, which is one of the most witch-ridden countries in Europe, simply borrowed the English word for witch under the form breach, and from that they coined the word breeches for witchcraft. The Irish, however, did not borrow even the name. They never had heard of the thing itself, and naturally had no name for a class of creatures with whom they had no acquaintance. It is true that the evil eye was known in Ireland, and I have found one or two prayers or charms against it, but so far as I have collected, I have not been able to find it made the basis of any story. In ancient times, however, there were creatures known in Ireland who appear to have had some of the characteristics of the Christian witches, but their conception is purely pagan and owes nothing to Christianity. The Irish name was a mate, and it was applicable to both sexes. In the old translation of the Cath Catharda, the Irish version of Lucan's Pharisalia, Medea is called the chief amate or witch of the world. In the Alam Sonora, or dialogue between St. Patrick on one side and Oisin and Kailote on the other, we read of nine women amates who were engaged in amidect, and who used never allow a man or woman to escape them. 
and they were not long there, says the 13th century text, until they saw nine black gloomy witches, a mates, coming to meet them, and if the dead ever arose out of the ground, the yells which they used to utter round them on all sides would have brought them forth from their tombs. And Patrick takes the holy water and sprinkles it on the amates, and they fled away from him until they reached Inisquil, which is called the Island of the Shrine or the White Lake of Sierra. And it was there they heard the last cry from them. And the people seated themselves on the sodded sword, and the king of Connacht spake them, That is the chasing of a good cleric that thou hast given to the demons, said he. The word amate, though lost in folk speech, and now never used in the sense of which, has nevertheless perpetuated itself in an extraordinary tradition in parts of Connacht. The appellation for the fairy place where the good people or Tawatha Didanan dwell is Breen, and there is a belief that there is a denizen of the Breen called Amadan na Breen, which seems to mean the fool of the palace whose lightest touch is death. From the other creatures of the Breen, one may escape scatheless but never from the Amadan. This Amadan I take to be a folk preservation or a diminutive of Amate, and to have nothing at all to say the word Amadan, a fool. The Amate owes nothing to Christianity, but her equivalent in modern folklore would rather be found in the story of Khan Among the Goats, where the woman whom all thought dead comes back from the grave and kills her husband, or in the story of the priest and bishop, where the hanged woman comes back as a malevolent spirit to claim the priest, or in some of the stories that Curtin collected around Dingle. It is quite true that there are many current tales or beliefs concerning more or less malignant old women who steal butter from their neighbors' churns by charms or exorcisms who turn themselves into hares and suck the cows, and who are supposed to possess certain more or less supernatural powers. These old women, however, seldom or never figure in regular stories, nor have they given rise to a type or even to a common appellation. They are just known as calicha, or hags, there is absolutely nothing in Irish folklore, so far as I am acquainted with it, to suggest the disgusting and obscene orgies of the witches' Sabbaths, as we find them in other countries, or of incubi, or succubi, or of intercourse with the devil, or of riding on broomsticks to keep appointments with the evil one, or of conjuring up the dead, or even producing wasting diseases in enemies, or making waxen or clay images of those whom they wish to injure. The devil, too, insofar as he comes into Irish folklore, 
is a much less grotesque figure than the usual medieval conception of him, such as we see with horns and hooves in Albrecht Dürer's picture. He is usually designated as the Old Devil or the Abrissoir, often contracted to Abrissoir from the Latin Adversarius. He does not generally appear as roaming through the world seeking whom he may devour, but mostly keeps to his own abode in the infernal regions where he must be sought. We meet him in both forms as a wandering person and as king of the lower regions in my late friend's Mr. Laramie's very curious and interesting story of the woman who went to hell. He is not the popular or common character in our folklore that he is in Teutonic legend. He does not construct bridges, nor hold high festival on hilltops, and few or none of the curious freaks of nature as seen in rocks, chasms, and the like are attributed to him. The devil's bit in the devil's punch bowl, so common in Anglo-Irish nomenclature, do not always correspond to the original Irish appellation. When the survivors of the old Fianna, Oisin or Asan, Caolite, and the rest were told about hell and the devil by St. Patrick and his clergy, they could not, according to Oceanic legends, comprehend it in the least, and the misunderstandings which the doctrine gave rise to were taken full advantage of by the composers of the Oceanic ballads. The idea of bringing the last great figure of paganism, the warrior and poet Ossian, into contact with the first great Christian figure in Ireland, St. Patrick, was a brilliant one, and it gave birth to whole volumes of bandage and semi-comic wrangling in the popular ballads which told of the warrior and the cleric. These ballads used to be in great vogue at one time, and any sanshadi worthy of the name used to be able to repeat by heart many hundreds of lines of the dialogue between Patrick and Oisin. This is now nearly a thing of the past, but the poems exist in numberless manuscripts and are not yet forgotten by the older Irish speakers, though the only specimen I have given in this volume is the baptism of Osin, and it is in prose. St. Patrick displays in places an excess of priestly rigour, but this is always done to set off the naivete of Oisin's answers. Quote, in the hell of the pains in bondage is the gentle man, Fion, who used to bestow the gold. You will go as the Fiana have gone, and let us talk about God yet a while. End quote. But Oisin could not understand how Patrick's God could get the better of his Fiana, or why he should try to put them in hell at all. Were God and my son Oscar seen on Knockhaven in combat long, and I saw my Oscar on the sod, it's then I'd say that God was strong. How is your God a better man? 
or all your clan of clerics there? Then Finn, our Fenian chief so great, so straight, so generous, so fair. The spirit of banter in which St. Patrick and the Church are treated, and which stops just short of irreverence, is of course a medieval and not a primitive trait. My friend, the late Mr. Nutt, thought that it is a trait more characteristic of the twelfth than any succeeding century. It would be exceedingly easy to fill volumes with stories from the lives of saints which exist either in old vellum or in paper MSS. But this has not been my aim. I have kept to actual folk survivals and have drawn upon MSS of saints' lives only for the elucidation of the folk tale. Finally, I should say that after having collected Irish folklore for a quarter of a century, the amount of folk stories which are wholly conditioned by Christianity or largely based upon Christian conceptions would be, in my opinion, about one story in four or one story in five. There still remains the fascinating problem of their sources. If foreign, what was their origin, and who brought them here? If native, who invented them, and when, and with what purpose? I have prefixed a few notes to each of the following stories, which possibly may not be wholly uninteresting to the reader who has an eye for these problems. End of Introduction Recording by Tom Mack